Welcome back to Creator Talks, the interview show with comic book writers and artists. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, and on this week's show, I have not one but two guests. Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon both join me for a conversation on this week's episode to talk about Black Cloud, number one, being published by Image Comics. That goes on sale on April 5th. The artist of the series is Greg Hinkle and the colorist, Matt Wilson. Now, Greg and Matt could not join me for today's interview. However, Jason and Ivan do discuss their talents and abilities and the contributions that they make to Black Cloud number one. And I'm so glad they could both join me for today's conversation. Now, Black Cloud is a tale of fiction, a fantasy story about a dreamer from another dimension, Zelda. And we're going to talk about what the story is about and who Zelda is. And there's more to what inspired Jason and Ivan to write this story, and they're going to talk about that in our conversation today. I also get a chance to talk about some of their other work, including Southern Bastards, which is very popular right now and is also published by Image Comics. And I also talked to Ivan about some of his work that you might want to check out as well. Jason and Ivan made this a very easy interview for me. They had plenty to say to me and each other, and I did enjoy just being part of the conversation. So I hope you enjoy it as well. And let me know what you think. You can reach me at Creator Talks Pod on both Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, I hope to have them both back again real soon so we can just chit-chat about other things, even outside of comic books. Well, let's get started. So here is Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon talking about Black Cloud number one. Here now on Creator Talks. Ivan, Jason, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you. Hey, man. Yeah. Thanks for having us. I'm more than happy to talk all over Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you both here. So uh, we have Black Cloud coming up on April 5th. So let's start with Zelda. Who is she? Oh, man. That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to handle this or do you want to take a crack at it? Okay. You, you, you started off, right? Go for it. Uh, well, I mean, I guess the simplest way to answer this is to sort of outline where the book starts, um, because I think in both our minds, the comic is kind of a character study. Uh, we just have tried to use the language of comics and, uh, sort of the unlimited palette that you have when you get to draw and tell a story visually to play that out as sort of an allegory or a metaphor. Um, but uh, we kind of became pretty quickly, uh, we've known each other for a long time, and Ivan and I knew each other when we, I guess we're both basically sort of starting out. Uh, you know, a lot of this book is not so secretly about what it's like to be, to struggle with being an artist or finding your place in the world as an artist. So comics being sort of a broad and unlimited palette, that's kind of what the world Zelda comes from is metaphorically supposed to represent. She's from, in, I guess, classical storytelling terms, she's kind of from a fairy tale land. And the land that she she's the, the great-granddaughter or, or, you know, ancestor of the people who founded the world she's from, and those people are all very powerful storytellers from like our own world who kind of became like they they kind of became of the opinion that their audience was unappreciative and <laughs> manipulating their work to the ends that they didn't want. So they sort of got together and cast a spell and created this world in which they could do and entertain. They could do whatever they want and entertain each other and the strongest idea wins. And so Zelda is the, you know, fourth or fifth generation down the line of those people. And when we first meet her, she's living as a homeless kid in New York City because she failed in her rebellion against her elders. <laughs> and so it's very much a story about a person who um, <clears throat> is, you know, like a lot of the things that I work on is about a person who is, has a very conflicted relationship with the place they come from and the power structures that... Uh, sort of guide and bind them, I think. Sure. And ultimately also, you know, this very conflicted relationship with herself as she, you know, we all have, I think this this also sort of harkens back to it. I mean, it's funny because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in terms of 
the connection to our careers or to the business. A lot of that stuff um, doesn't necessarily power directly, like we, we create direct analogies, but it's just sort of funny things that we yeah, we just things we noticed. Yeah, things that things that sort of sort of sort of tickle as we go. But we um, we in her case, I mean, I, you end up with you know the upstart person. Everybody, you know, when you're coming up in the business, you always think you know better than than how everything is done. You always think you have a better version of you know everybody's an idiot and everything's done wrong, and I'm going to go in and teach them all. And you know, and you you can very quickly uh, fall on your ass and learn. Uh, you know, learn the downside of that kind of uh, thinking, and then also, you know, just find humility. Um, find you know the humility you need to realize that you're you are also in fact a flawed person who screws up constantly, um, and and who will progressively screw up in in different ways as you as you progress through life. So <laughs> it's her, you know, it's her starting off from this high high point of being this incredibly respected and beloved and and powerful person who can do pretty much anything she wants. To then going and, you know, of course, executing her cue, her coup, which fails miserably, um, and then which also she she discovers is not, uh, you know, she she we all have we all have uh, a grandiose vision of ourselves until we place ourselves in a in in a in a, in a situation to actually have to uphold that vision, and then uh, and then sometimes we realize that regardless of our uh, ability that we're often terrified and don't have what it takes to get there. Yeah. I think when you ask who she is, the, the idea of, of that she's probably wrestling with the most to my mind is, is that this is a person who is demonstrable, demonstratively powerful, uh, who has been <laughs> humbled and has started to re- she's outcast from a world where she is powerful. Um, and, in a way, it's a self-imposed exile. So we're kind of digging into this character that, um, though she's very clearly has all these like talents and abilities at her disposal, there's something holding her back. There's something that's uh, making her <clears throat> that has caused her to get to this position where she's finally learning whether or not she has humility. I guess, and yeah. that's a lot of what the story and the character is about is uh, that sort of like that space between where your picture of yourself and your picture of the world and the things that you want from the world all smear together and how do you parse all that out you know i think we've all been there i know i've been there do you have any stories of your own personal experience that involves that humility <laughs> you can do a whole line of comments <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know if you have enough time for that, but yeah, no, it's like a daily experience. I think. I think. I think. You know, we got asked actually in another interview, and I hate to say this, uh, so, but we got asked about like achieving your dreams and whether or not we'd achieved our dreams. And I'm like, man, if I ever think that I've achieved my dreams, you can just shoot me. Um, <laughs> That's a day to day thing. I think. That, oh, absolutely. And it's and it's like just the idea that you, the idea that you know what the hell you're talking about. You know, from any moment to the next, obviously we have the confidence to move forward in, in, in a situation. But it's like, man, every week I think the guy last week was a, just useless and incompetent. You know, um, <laughs> you just—I mean, I think that's life. I think hopefully if you're doing it right, you 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 have cause on every birthday to to you know to to realize how terrible you were at the last one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be like very specific about it, is one of the big settings in the book is New York, and that's a that's a you know Ivan grew up there, so it might seem like that's only his playground, and I definitely lean on him for that. But I lived there and during some really formative like times when I was going through stuff like this, uh, like it, when it was at its its worst for me. And I remember very specifically thinking one time that I was sitting on, sitting waiting for a train, <laughs> and I just was like, "This is just like my career. No matter where this train takes me, I'm always waiting on another train." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was like one of those weird sort of, uh, you know, hillbilly, uh, hillbilly Yoda sayings or something that, where it really did unlock something in my head, where I realized. The, you know, it's that old trope. Of it's the journey, not the destination. But just the patience of like having to to sometimes not get what you want, and sometimes figure out how to get what you want, and when to know 
you know, it's a it's an age old story. I think that extends beyond. It's beyond. It goes beyond being an artist. It's it's kind of about ambition, I guess. If, if you don't have new hopes, new dreams, new goals all the time, I mean, I would get bored, and that would be depressing. Like having nothing to strive for. It's like, okay, I'm good. This is where I want to be. I would just be like, now what? <laughs> I think a lot of people fall victim to being. Uh, sort of bludgeoned by other people's ambitions too which is oh, sort of which is sort of what the other like the other half of this book is kind of about is you know just because you want something doesn't mean that uh, you know that we don't live in a consensus you know we live in a more or less consensus reality and sometimes like butting against that is really difficult so we thought it would be really interesting if zelda has to fight this fight on two fronts she has to live in a world that has a consensus reality, which is our own, where her powers don't seem to really work. And then at the same time, there's a, a problem going on from her world, which is a much more malleable uh, meritocracy in term, terms of like how reality works. It's kind of the best, the best or the most convincing idea wins. And one of the things we found most interesting as we do this is I always had my suspicions personally that our world you know, it was driven by whoever told the best story, but we're starting to really learn that. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, maybe not even the best story, just the most, the one that people want the to most, believe the most. The most convincing, I guess. Yeah. Right? Even fractionally so. Yeah, I, I think I think also that, you know, he brought up an interesting point about the, um, just the idea of formative time in, in New York. And I think I'm one of the interesting things about basing a story, and, you know, and it's evidenced by obviously me continuing to go back to New York often in my work, but, um, I think New York sort of forces you. New York is the classic, like you go to New York thinking about the destination, but New York is all about the journey. So you, in New York, no matter who you are or how old you are or where you are in your life will force you into, it's a cliche of, of how hard it is here, um, but it's absolutely appropriate. New York is a very, very difficult uh, place and New York will force you to to reckon uh, with with where you're at and what you what yeah, you want. Yeah, who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely congealed the thought process of who I was. I, I've said it in Southern Bastards before, but I never listened to more like old country music than I did when I lived in New York. And I remember specifically being uh, like in the in Central Park one time and looking up and thinking like, this place has so much opportunity. It has so much there's an opportunity around every corner, but none of that will be available to me if I don't know who I am. Right. You know, and I think it's a common mistake for everyone that's trying to make their own way in the world. You know, not to say that it's a thing that I have to reaffirm and reassess, you know, looping that back into the earlier train of thought. It's a thing you have to reaffirm and reassess daily um, in order to, even have some vague idea of the shape of who you are. And that's always undergoing constant evaluation because you should never be satisfied where you are. Cause I look back 10 years ago and think, Oh, what an idiot. And 10 years ago, I was looking at myself saying 10 years ago, Oh, what an idiot. It's so, all bad high school photos. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> now it's Facebook photos. <laughs> so Zelda can go back and forth between worlds. Uh, but on earth, New York, she's broke. And she has to find a means of income. And she is either she's targeting young wealthy people to cross over to this other world, or they're, but they have a need for what she has to offer. And what does that say about them? Um, what's missing in their lives? Well, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily anything missing so much as the kids, and, and we were all there. I mean, kids, she is, uh, she's, she's produced an a incredibly shiny object. Um, and she, that's the, that's the trick she has. She, the only thing she has access to is this um, this uh, you know this world that that they can't possibly imagine that she yeah, they can't buy. Right. Otherwise, yeah. exactly. She's basically just you know she's she's uh, she's created the best TV show experience they can they can find basically, um, and. Uh, I, you know, I think it's just as simple as that. I think it's just you have, you have, what's what's the only skill? A, you know, again, make it there, make it anywhere in New York. 
she doesn't have any money. She does not. She doesn't have any. Uh, she doesn't have any real world abilities because she's not from this world. So what's the only thing that she can offer is to dazzle people with something that they've never seen before. Yeah, I, I don't think you're completely off base with that question though, because I do think that there is. It does sort of bring up the old idea of like, you know, what do you buy for the person that has everything? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you try and offer them something that has exclusivity or rarity or, you know. Is just something that they can, they can, you know, sell the other to other people as being important. And in this case, it just so happens to actually be the trip of a lifetime. You know. Well, let's talk about the title of the book itself, Black Cloud. How did you choose that? I don't. I. I uh, I'm going to be I, a jerk here and say that we we've sort of avoided uh, nailing the title down until we get a little further into the the book. If that's okay. No, I mean, fair enough. Absolutely. I can bring you the, I can tell you what inspired it was just that we had a different name for it. And I was riding down the road. I was actually on the highway one day with a, a girl I was seeing at the time. And I, it was a big clear open sky and there were like clouds in the sky, you know, and I was just thinking about how you used to play make believe with clouds when you were a kid. And I thought like, Oh, that's our book is about make believe, <laughs> you know, you can make any, any cloud, you know, a cloud can be anything you mm-hmm. imagine. And then I knew what the, I'm not going to give away, like Ivan said, I'm not going to give away what the, what it means in the story. Right. But I just knew that our story was a darker take on that. So I was like, Oh yeah, a black cloud hangs over somebody's head. You know, I pitched it to the guys and they liked it. So on a, on a more obvious thing, it, it'll be, it'll be, it, you know, it's, it's very clear that there are, you know, the, the colloquial black cloud, uh, is ever present, uh, for Zelda. Who came up with the idea first, or was it just like a discussion you were having and bouncing back and forth, and you were like, hey, let's do this? I think it was one of our many, Jason and I, like every time Jason comes to New York, he stays here, for example, for the most part, and we tend to we tend to do shows together and do that sort of stuff, so I, I think we, you know, we, we have a lot of drunken talk. I mean, this has been a while. We, we, mm-hmm. we, we, I like to think that there are two worlds where we came up with a simultaneous <laughs> <laughs> in one world, he came up with it first, and then the other, yeah. I came up with it first, and I, it just blurred together. I, I think, yeah, I think we're just having a talk. I think, but I, I honestly, we started this conversation. I would say probably at least three years ago, uh, easily. Yeah, so if not so, longer. So the actual, the actual moment of creation. I mean, it, it, it was, it was. We were both uh, there, and we were involved enough that we obviously continued on uh, with each other rather than uh, doing it on our own, but. Um, but I don't. I, I honestly don't remember the specifics of of that that first. Uh, uh, I mean, I do remember a lot of the imagery that, that that we both threw back and forth. I remember that kind of stuff. Um, it's like that Bernstein Berenstein thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where nobody knows which one it was first or which one it actually is, but we just know that there, that there is still, something with those letters that's about bears. Bernstein uh, conspiracy. How do the two of you collaborate? Well, I, I said this in another interview, and that it's it's all sort of new for us. Clearly, uh, you know, I've I think we've both actually written with other people before, um, yeah. uh, but we've never written together. Even that's always different every single time, depending on who the person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think no matter what that, however that goes, the most important thing to do is a to try something new like to try and push yourself to do something that you normally wouldn't do if you're writing it by yourself and be to uh be on the same page philosophically uh that way like whoever does whatever part of the job you know individually you're never really like ever handing someone something to somebody where they're like oh what the fuck is that <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh so you know a lot of it is more or less like we talk through philosophically who the characters are and sort of what the end point is. And then we, you know, we've divvied the jobs of thus far into pretty strangely clear roles, but that doesn't mean those roles are always going to stay that way. Or no. And, that, and those roles, even those roles are, are fairly amorphous once we get into them. Like I, they, we, we, yeah. us building, you know, even the process of building it was fairly abstract, and, and uh, we we talked a lot about the broad world and all that stuff before we really got into the meat and potatoes of the story. Um, and then that, you know, it was just a bunch of stages of a lot of conversation. And then so yeah, so there's we have there's very specific roles, but then 
as we go through those roles, those things change. Um, the things we've discussed change pretty drastically as we go. So the whole thing is a is a is a pretty yeah. And there's things that people are both wired or more excited about or more wired to do. You know, like I'm like a fucking guy that gets up every morning. It's like, oh, I got like a bunch of ideas for this, this, and this. You know, and I, and I think Ivan enjoys sort of. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking for him. Maybe he hates it. <laughs> he, he, he enjoys sort of you know shaving something down. I guess. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. So, I'm the- I'm, yeah, I'm definitely a, 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 a finish line uh, guy. But, the, I mean, the interesting thing in comics is that, that I mean, I think a lot of the stuff has changed um, pretty drastically just by Greg's hand. So once we see oh, yeah, so that, that, that great yeah. influences our process. So That was what I was going to say. I mean, it, it's changed every issue, but more or less there's been a basic structure to it which is that we sit down we talk we get philosophically on the same page we get kind of rough ideas then i go and sort of break the story down then i hand it to ivan and he whittles it into the shape that greg needs and then greg goes and does his magic and makes us look really good (laughs) and 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 matt you know does the same and then it comes back to us and he and i fight to the death over process. surprisingly yeah, we really then then there's always a last pass that's sort of Ivan and I both like trying to step outside of ourselves and look at it from from our this has been the most interesting because I can I can get a little bit I can lean a little too heavily into what I call subtlety and uh, and sometimes a little impartial eyeball on like just whether or not what I'm trying to do is coming across is, is, is very, very useful. So to that end, having, you know, have an editor also who's been really, really great with giving us a different perspective on things. And, and now it's a really, really, really weird and really interesting. We are, are a, a ragtag uh, band of, uh, of folks, but, but it really does like we all do bring really different things to the table that I think are all essential. And I think there's going to be issues where all those roles could be interchanged, you know, like it's not necessarily like that that is the hierarchy of things and that it always has to stay that way. Um, yeah, I'll be drawing issue from issue six on. <laughs> uh, that will be money back guaranteed on that issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that money just be offered up front. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. The first comic that you that buys you. You mentioned Greg Hinkle. He's doing the art. Great choice. Um, I read Airboy. I read The Rattler. You know, Greg's great because you have Zelda going between worlds. And that was happening in Airboy, too, from fantasy comic land to reality. So I can see why he would be ideal for the book. Um, So how far along is he? Because I know he couldn't join us because I I know as an artist, it takes a lot of time to produce those 20 pages for a monthly book. So but how, how far along is he? How's he doing? Greg's doing great. We're, we're, I mean, we're, well, we're, we're doing great on the schedule. We're almost done with the first arc. Um, Greg is, yeah, Greg is phenomenal. Greg, Greg, I mean, the Airboy stuff was still like both those worlds were very grounded in terms of like, you know, one was more fantasy, but it was still, you know, uh, based on, on real stuff. So this is like really weird because, which, you know, Greg, you can see his, 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 every line is steeped in this incredible imagination, but we've, we we have inadvertently stymied him at, at times by just throwing too much uh, freedom. <laughs> at, at, like, you know, Greg, just build this entire world and not realizing what that what that entails and how much you know. So so Greg, yeah, Greg has this incredible ability to take just total fiction uh, and impossibility and just not only make it real but make it just grounded. Like make it you know like it, it everything has has substance, everything has weight, everything has grit to it. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, just, I can't even pick between New York and, um, and, and the, the fantasy world, what his, you know, which part of it I'm more in love with because it just, he just adds such, he, he just adds, I, I think the, the thing that I love about comics and, the, and I think that I love about Greg specifically is there's, there's a big leaning these days towards people just sort of very photo heavy kind of stuff and people that really work with. This idea, this this very contrived idea of what reality means, um, but Greg is. This, I mean, Greg's stuff is is as real or more real, um, and he's not he's not using any of those tropes. He's not using any of those tricks. He's he's creating something 
that is not from a a strict uh, uh, perspective, quote unquote, real. He's not he's not giving you a literal interpretation of anything. But what you take from it is absolutely one hundred percent what he intends. So uh, yeah, Greg it just blows blows me away, and, and really like. The book has, from the from the first pages we got from Greg, he's he drastically changed our approach to everything. I mean, he, he's, you know, forever inspiring. Uh, you know, just what what can we make Greg draw? Basically, is, is a big part of the process. Yeah, I'm never gonna give Ivan too much credit for anything, but the one one of the best ideas he had on this book was asking Greg to draw it. <laughs> uh, and I think subconsciously, I just never thought he would say yes. Uh, but I'm really, really happy that he did. Um, He's early enough in his career; he doesn't know any better yet. So we just <laughs> yeah, I keep making, the, I keep making the jokes. I keep making the joke that I'm not going to let him and Matt ever get away because I have. I'm, they're never getting these blackmail photos back. Uh, but uh, it's you know to echo what Ivan said. Um, a lot of people in comics are very talented at basically one approach. Uh, a lot of people either seem to completely value like drawing things from their own inner wellspring and imagination, and they completely, they, not completely, but more or less ignore uh, the tethers that you need to make things feel set in reality. Uh, and then other people are a little too beholden to reality, where everything becomes sort of a, a strange still life. And so asking someone to synthesize those two things is a very difficult thing as an artist, and I'm speaking from a lot of experience about this. Uh, it's a really difficult thing to synthesize those two things. It's the thing I've been working on my entire life, and Greg more or less pulls it off. I wouldn't say effortlessly because that devalues his talent and his ability, but he pulls it off in such a way that it makes you think it's effortless. Yeah. Um, and I would say the same thing of Matt Wilson. Uh, as his approach to color, you know, there's a lot of people that either approach things like from a literal painterly sort of sense, or they approach things from a strict sort of uh, things are more emotive or more designed for impact. And Matt's sort of the perfect, uh, you know, backing band or to Greg in the sense that they kind of both do the same thing and they're tremendously hard to do. And I don't think that people, you know, it's just one of those catch 22s where it's like, it's so hard to do, but they make it look so easy that I think people might not even appreciate how good they are as a result, you know? So I think Ivan and I both feel very lucky to have them. And also like, uh, like it's very essential that we sing their praises as much as no more than anybody, because see what they go through yeah and it was also a great pleasure to ask um to ask greg uh you know if he was okay with working with matt i mean not that anybody wouldn't be okay with but you don't know greg's last book he colored himself we had no idea i just greg got so giddy at the idea of working with matt that it was just like one of those things it gets you you know it gets you excited about your own people like the, the, the beauty of doing a creator that's about fantasy is you, on some level, you can reconnect with a weird childhood uh, uh, part of yourself that was just, you know, like effortlessly happy and excited about everything. Versus like being two guys who've been doing this for so long that you're that we're jaded and and and, <laughs> and grumpy all the time. You know, there's a lot of like, okay, so can we put like a. a astronaut in this <laughs> and, and it's like well why not <laughs> okay yeah, well who's the astronaut you know it's a lot of that rather than, uh, than you know, like, well this is a world about astronauts yeah well there's also a lot of like part of part of our motivation just on a visceral level day to day is that i think comics even like superhero comics which you know were always about a world where anything was possible have become these sort of gritty like realistic uh, have, have pushed away from that in a lot of, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people still doing that, that kind of work. And I think there's been a little bit of a resurgence, but you know, just the idea of like, what's the craziest thing we can draw? What's the most amazing, exciting thing we can draw like that, that, uh, is something that we, we have, I think we are, we're all very excited about, about the idea of, of just what's, you know, how, what, yeah. What, 
make someone drool, you know, the way we used to drool. Yeah. The secret ingredient is Jack Kirby. That's sort of the secret. Uh, I mean, that's always a thing that I'm trying to keep in the back of my head is, uh, you know, make it a make it a comic first. Uh, and the design of the book, though, from a story standpoint and from sort of a mechanical standpoint is, is that you always have the real world to, to land in. Um, uh, that doesn't mean the status quo of the real world will always stay the same, but there is always a place to rest, so to speak, or to, you know, land. If you're on this flight of fancy, there's always a place to land that plane. Um, and I think that you get a lot out of that, both visually and from a writing standpoint. Did Greg come up with uh, the character design of Zelda? I'm sure you, you guys did, but I mean, did he actually... Uh, before, we, before we move on, it's also, the, uh, it's also not done for a budgetary reason, which is a thing a movie would do. A film would, would say, like, oh, well, we have to do... Or a TV show would be like, oh, well, the TV stuff will save us stuff on the budget. You know, so every time we return to the real world in that story, it's for a story reason. It's not for, like, we're shaving corners or padding something out, you know. Right. Anyway. No, no, that's a good point. That's one of the nice things about comics. You're not restricted by the budget of the story you can tell. Right. Yeah. No, but that, that sort of relates also to what I was saying before, because I think a lot of the a lot of the restrictions in terms of people floating towards realism, either stylistically or, or story wise or whatever, is related to that in some cases because people are trying to get themselves to sell a movie deal. I'm like, we kinda don't care. Right. It's not a TV. Yeah, pitch. I figure by the time they I figure I always figure by the time they make a movie of something like this it could be 10 years from now, and by then, who knows what movies will be. Yeah, I always right. feel like the... Yeah. the and they're making it work, yeah, the comics, their problem, not ours. Yeah, exactly. The comics you make should be ahead of the movies, I think. I, I even try to do that with you know my Marvel stuff. It's just like, let somebody else worry about adapting it into a movie. You know, like Just make it a, the best, funnest, most expressive comic that fits the story you're telling, and then worry about the... Let somebody else worry about the other media. I, that even extends... You know, even the more realistic stuff I do, like Southern Bastards, which is like, at first glance, there's a lot of people that would say like, oh, that looks like a TV show. But I feel like I would argue that it is more comic book than anything. And I think that you just have to stay ahead of that curve. You have to, it, it, it's necessary to, to being a comic book creator to do that, you know. Sure. I mean, your first objective should be to create a good comic book, and if it turns into a series for television or movies, great. But if that's the objective yeah, to begin exactly. with, it's going to limit you. Yeah, and that's not saying there's not skills from those other mediums or mediums or influence or you know any of that stuff. That's always present. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's got to work on the comics page. Next question about the uh, about the uh, design. Oh yes, uh, we had long, long, long conversations and. We went back and forth, and honestly, we we all I think struggled at first to really figure out how to solidify how we saw her. We had some broad ideas, but then bringing them to life took took a while. And 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 then in the ultimate uh, uh, execution, Greg and Jason both drew a bunch and uh, and came to a form that we were happy with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the one I, I'm finally of some use. Yeah. <laughs> 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 when. You know, when Greg's arms get tired and there's still like wood to chop, I'm I'm around. No, uh, that's that's definitely an advantage of working with Jason over other co-writers is that uh, in a pinch, Jason is obviously a very uh, accomplished and talented uh, artist. So in a pinch, Jason adds a, you know, the, the sad the sad reality for artists is you you're often working with a room full of people who don't speak your language, and so having you know a second set of eyes who can who can, you know, who can speak to the things you're trying to do. Uh, I think is is a it's an advantage that probably Greg or Jason wouldn't encounter. So all you amazing artists out there, <laughs> I'm your dream writer. <laughs> I wanted to ask. I think this book was originally scheduled for some time in the fall of last year. And were there other, if I understand that correctly, were there other conflicts or other other assignments that kind of got in the way of that? I mean, it doesn't no. really matter when it comes out. I mean, it's you know when yeah, it's ready, it's ready. Those those dates, um, you know, when they do those expos, unfortunately, just whenever they're putting those things together, the dates they, they have you put sort of, uh, I mean, frankly, almost an arbitrary date on the on the, and so you just sort of have to guess based on where you are in the schedule, mm -hmm. uh, where you think you're going to end up. But 
at the, at the time those things were announced, we're nowhere near um, being ready to schedule a book. And so yeah, we weren't yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's not, and that's true of my other book versus um, it's not that the books are delayed. It's that, that that's not really a schedule. It's literally just words typed on a poster. Okay. Uh, you know, and it, they're literally picked the day that we type them onto that poster. So we're not, we're not at that stage. We're just not remotely ready to. Nope. It, like, Nobody should ever ask me about have, a schedule. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> You know, most books I see announced at cons, it's like it's a year before it actually hits the sands. It's yeah. and it's yeah. just the idea was it was just discussed sometimes at the con and it's announced. Yeah, well, essentially we had we had the idea and it had been approved and Image was really excited about it and that was the best window in which to promote it and okay. say like, hey, this is coming. No, we were definitely. I mean, we were definitely needed and working on the book, but we were definitely nowhere near where we would put mm-hmm. ourselves on the calendar. In yeah. Our yeah, sure. Let's just talk about some of your other work, if each of you would take a turn and tell me what else you're working on. I mean, I'm familiar. Well, Ivan, for example, a couple of books I'd be interested in learning more about, two sure. of them, Drifter and Vikings. Uh, uh, sure. I, I'll give you – so Dr- Drifter is a uh, – it's hard to be coy because we're almost wrapping up, but then still a lot of people who haven't read it, I can't. But Drifter, because it's a very strange book and there's a large mystery. It's basically it's a guy who – I think it was Jason who coined the the term possibly of unforgiven in space. Um, yeah, alien meets Deadwood or something. Ridley yeah, Scott's yeah. Deadwood. It's it's yeah. look it's 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 about a lot of different things. Um, it, it's it's to me it's about sort of formative years of of sci-fi and doing a grittier version of you know the first steps it takes to get to uh, you know uh, uh, flying cars and and, and pristine cities. Um, and that to me, uh, you know, we, 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 we're basically doing a story about the people who get there first. Um, and that's more, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a revenge story on the backdrop of that. It's a, it's a guy who, um, it's a guy who crash lands in a weird place that he wasn't supposed to be in. Um, who is headed to do, uh, he's headed home to see his girl. And he and he crash lands in this place, and once he gets there, even the reality of him, uh, even the reality of, of what how he got there and what's happened uh, to him is none of it really makes sense. None of it lines up uh, perfectly. So it's it's an unraveling, I guess, of, of that sort of stuff of him trying to figure out what the hell is going on, where he's at, and how he got there. And that's Drifter. Viking is a Viking is a Viking is a strange ninth-century uh, gangster story, and it, it deals with two brothers um, who, uh, growing up at, at, in the in the midst of uh, of the mythology of, of, of the Viking era, um, and trying to sort of live up to that, um, uh, and basically, you know, pulling off capers that will inevitably get them in trouble, um, and ultimately. You know, to use a like a Sopranos analogy, uh, they ultimately, let's say, these two young schmucks who are trying to get themselves attention in the Viking world, they kidnap Tony Soprano and realize that they that they are not the uh, they are not the dangerous ones in this equation. Um, and that's basically this. That's basically Viking. I'm also working on Versus, which was announced at the expo with uh, with Black Cloud. Versus is a um, Versus a world where uh, war has become a privatized uh, spectator sport. Um, and it's drawn by uh, Esad Ribic, who uh, drawn quite a few things from Marvel, recently drew Secret Wars. Um, and, uh, and is also the god of thunder. Yeah, he's, yes. he's, he is, uh, yeah, he's drawn Thor. He also is Thor. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's something that... that uh, all the rest of them are obviously out, and you can buy them in stores now. And Drifter actually ends next month um, with our final issue, nineteen. Um, and uh, I know that's a strange number, but that's just how it worked out. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, it's all collected. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and uh, uh, versus, uh, we're just it's sort of the same as this. We're not quite. We're we're, we're far along, but, but Image is not quite. Image has very specific parameters for soliciting content and uh and it's fairly new actually the new this process 
And so, you know, once it's ready to, to be put out there, it'll be put out there. And Jason, you have a couple of books uh, you guys are working on together, uh, Southern Bastards for one. And I honestly, I just started reading it today and uh, oh. sucked, it sucked me in. So I still have a long ways to go, but all I've heard is wonderful things about it and I can see why. So please uh, tell us about that. I'm going to brag brag. Uh, <laughs> Southern Bastards is a, a comic that Jason Aaron and I uh, do together. Um, we... Chiefly, he's the writer and I'm the artist, and we co-created it, but occasionally I will write a story, and uh, we kind of do all the parts of the story together, I suppose, um, which is a, a egregiously egotistical thing for me to say, considering he's Jason Aaron, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he rules the comic universe by himself, so I'm very fortunate that you know he allows my input in that since but um we started at uh, that comic about two or three years ago we're on issue i'm working on issue 17 now and 18 is actually already drawn which i wrote it's uh, a story about a guy named earl tubb who uh is kin to a famous lawman who cleaned up this this uh this county in alabama where the bastards had won the day once upon a time <laughs> And uh, Earl leaves home 40 years ago, goes to fight in Vietnam, and when he gets back from Vietnam, his dad has passed away. And he hated where he was from, and he kind of hated his dad, so it was his excuse to leave. Uh, 40 years later, he's sort of drawn back home, only to find that the town that his family was famous for cleaning up has now been overrun again. And he gets drawn into this sort of, I guess you could call it pseudo-mystically, <laughs> Uh, we play a lot with the idea of Southern mythology and uh, try and sort of postmodern take on Southern culture uh, and the, the perceptions of Southern culture. Um, and it's done by two very proud yet angry Southerners, <laughs> angry about our own culture, I guess. Um, and we, you know, we're fortunate enough. We've, we won the Eisner for best continuing series last year. Uh, and, uh, we optioned it to FX, so it's in development there. Um, and yeah, it's kind of our labor of love and hate. It's a book that we would do even if no one read it, but we were very, and we kind of expected no one to read it, but we've been very fortunate that the response has been really great to it. Um, and there's some twists and turns in there, so if you don't like murder football comics, just hang with it. There's a. <laughs> There's some stuff in there that really sort of circumvents the toxic masculinity of the comic. Um, <clears throat> but I don't want to really give it away. I'm sure a lot most people know by now, but I, mm -hmm. but you never know. Um, so that's Southern Bastards. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. It's just drenched with character. I mean, I love the, the regional language and the characters. It's like the kind of television shows I like. Deadwood, Justified, have very distinct characters and colloquialisms in the language of the region so that i really enjoy that part of a book it really takes me into it so uh, i'm gonna get caught up Thanks, on that man. as soon as possible i kind of forgot the biggest hook of it the biggest hook of it is is that there's an evil football coach <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so football is sort of our and he's one of the main characters and sort of the allegory that can play there or what we're examining is sort of the the power of organized of organized uh you know it's kind of a top-down power structure. Uh, football kind of is a substitute for a lot of different things, be that like politics or culture or religion. And what happens when somebody who's in charge of something so important to a community is uh, maybe not the best person in the world, you know? Um, so it's kind of like, you know, Redneck Sopranos or something. <laughs> is there one question that you have not been asked yet that you wish someone would. You uh, go first, Ivan. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I, I've, I've never. Uh, I've never really done an interview and wish there were more questions. <laughs> How did you sleep last night? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, sleep, I, is, sleep is it, underrated. If I'm honest, I'm not going to get super specific, but I, I, uh, I, because we've been doing a lot of press now, and so this is a conversation that comes up. I honestly, uh, I, I, I enjoy most the, the the interviews, which is obviously contrary to the point of us doing press for a book. But I enjoy most interviews that are that are not about 
the book or, or the work or the, or the thing and, and, and seeing people just talk about just just random things that for whatever reason to me is fascinating so that's that's the that's the one thing is I hope one day to have a conversation uh, you know like when, when you when you watch like Colbert and he has the he has someone on to promote a movie but they don't even for a second talk about the movie and they just <laughs> now it's just some random you know they're just joking about God knows what like that's yeah, just, that's the thing I think that's the thing you become I've become like easier with is uh, I guess like the more you do sort of like an interview for Marvel the, at the beginning, there's a real need to be like, I got to sum up what this thing is about, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, like Ivan said, I, nowadays it's more like, okay, you either you, you're, you're reading this interview in part because I'm doing the interview, I guess. So, so let's like talk about something, you know, I can be more interesting without giving away the comic. I would hope. Um, well, let me ask you this. What do you each do for fun when you're not writing? I mean, I'm sure writing for you is fun. It's still work. But what do you do as a, a distraction or to as give a him stress a, relief? Give him a PG answer, Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> PG answer? I'll remove the drinking. No, I, you know, we're lucky enough, I think, both right now that we're at a place in our career that uh, uh, our attention is uh, called for uh, a lot of different places in the world. So we, we get uh, we get asked to be a lot of places. And so... I've been able to do a lot of traveling, like uh, in the last few years, and last year especially was a ridiculous year for me. I went, I was in like nine different countries last year, um, and uh, I, I, I love it. I can't get enough of, of especially now when we're, when we're when we're at odds in our own country about just knowing what our culture is about or what you know what anybody feels about anything. It's it's um, just just being able to perceive how different. Uh, branches of humanity, uh, 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 you know, process their own things and how people function uh, to me is, is endlessly fascinating. Ivan, Ivan goes to Cuba a lot. That's what Ivan does for fun. Yeah. Uh, he does. Uh, that's a, not a joke. Really? Um, yeah. Well, he's Cuban, so right. <laughs> he just got back, right? Yeah. Um, I, you ever seen Superman three <laughs> when he splits into like Clark Kent yes. and like the evil evil? Yes. Super, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that the evil one draws the comics. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I don't really. Uh, I mean, I've been accused of by many ex girlfriends of being like only like living my work. You know, um, and I think that given how many things I do and how time intensive what i do is uh that's true and that's fair but for me my living is not a it is a career i would not ever say it's not but for me it's a lifestyle and so yeah writing and drawing is fun for me and sort of like the things that i put in my head it kind of bookends ivan's question in a way or answer in a way things i put in my head you know out in the world i kind of enjoy i think where where the where where things are fun it's not necessarily always traveling, even though I do enjoy it. We're not always, you know, like going out to have a drink or something like that. It's that point of creation where like the where like I something that I experienced inspires something I want to do. And like that's like the greatest high ever for me. Um, and I <clears throat> and maybe that's that and somewhat like poetically, that's what this comic black cloud is about. Spike the football. Nice land. (laughs) (laughs) Out April 5th. (laughs) Out April 5th from Image Commons. Do you have any convention appearances planned? Oh, yeah. In the area. uh, I'm definitely going to be at C2E2. That's the next. And we have a signing for the release of Black Cloud April April 8th. Yeah, two signings. Yes, two signings. We have a daytime signing at The Escapist in Berkeley. Um, and then a nighttime uh, reception slash signing at Trickster, uh, also in Berkeley. Um, that's that's April eighth. And then I don't know the dates of the rest of the stuff, but I'll be I will be in uh, in I don't remember the name of the town because I'm a jerk. Just outside of Denver uh, for a convention called the Fried Pie Convention with Greg Hinkle. And then uh, Jason and I will be at C2E2 together uh, the week after that. And then I think that's it for a bit. And did you say Tucson also earlier? Did I hear? No, you? I didn't hear Tucson. Okay, you should try Tucson. Tucson's nice. I, I <laughs> yeah, all that stuff, 
all that stuff, and then Heroes Con at the end of the summer, or at the beginning of summer. Okay. That's all I know for sure. <laughs> yeah, so if there's a con in Tucson that wants to invite us, I want to say publicly to the record that, uh, <laughs> that, that, I, that I'm, I'm in. I've never also, been also, Trident White Gum. Yeah. Send me a, <laughs> send me as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> we went to we went to uh, Phoenix a couple years ago uh, and 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 had a blast. I love Arizona and I've heard great things about oh, Tucson. But yeah, never. I've been to Arizona several times. I want to get back there because uh, I like to go out there and you know, see Sedona, go hiking, Camelback Mountain. You know, a lot of a lot of cool stuff. I out thought there. that was gonna go. I thought that was gonna go someplace really. <laughs> crazy there for a second. I like to go out there and go out there murder and... a hitcher. <laughs> Leave him in the red dust. <laughs> oh, nothing so exciting. Have you ever seen dust turn have you ever seen a man's blood turn dust to mud? <laughs> like that's a... <laughs> All right, guys. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Been a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Not, not you, Ivan. It was not. <laughs> oh, and there you have it. Good times, good times. Two Southern gentlemen joining me today, Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon. And as I said at the beginning of this episode, I hope to have them again real soon. Maybe after the first arc of the series wraps up uh, and it comes out in trade, we hope it does, and it probably will. Uh, we'll get together then and talk about the series and where it went and uh, talk about some other things outside of comics because they seem like a couple of fun guys. We could go on for a while talking about other things. And who else would you like to hear on the show? Well, you can let me know through my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. Just shoot me an email with your suggested guests and questions. And uh, you can also reach me on social media through the Twitter at Creator Talks Pod and through the Facebook at Creator Talks Pod as well. See, I kept it easy for you. And March, March is on. We're getting into April soon, and I already have guests lined up for just about every week in April. So a lot of good stuff coming your way. Some folks you've heard of, some maybe you have not. But um, I think you'll find all the conversations interesting, and that is the objective here is to have conversations with writers and artists, the pencilers, inkers, colorists, everyone involved in creating comics and find out what they're about and what inspires them and what's their motivation and basically the human element, the blood, sweat, and tears that go into making great comics. This is a great time to be a comic book reader back when I read comics when I was a kid. All you had were letter pages and names on a page, but now you can have these great audio conversations available to listen to and find out more about the creators. And I hope it makes your reading of comics more enjoyable. Getting the information from the source. I hope you'll join me next week. For now, I'm Christopher Calloway for Creator Talks. Until next time. <laughs>